For now, we're continuing in this this series on Luke's gospel, um, and we're asking the question, we started this last week, of what would it be like to eat with Jesus? Ever thought about that? Well, what would it look like for you and I to, to, to sit down and spend a meal with, uh, with this man who I said last week was always far more concerned with who was at the table than he was with what was on the table? And the, the reason that, that we would even entertain that question, right? Someone asked me this week, like, where did you come up with this? Um, our lives revolve around food, right? We are consuming beings, particularly my five-year-old. She's like, I want food like every five minutes of the day. Just, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. We are consuming beings, right? Our, our, our days revolve around mealtimes, and yet for Jesus, these meals were something so much more than just consumption. They, they were like agape meals. They, they were love feasts. They were, they were opportunities to, to share who he was with those whom he loved. So last Sunday, just as a recap, if you weren't with us, we, we kicked this series off with the story of Jesus breaking all the dinnertime rules. And in this first meal, um, in Luke's gospel, right out the gate, uh, Christ sits down with this, this meal with these folks who some would have named the worst of society. If you're a Pharisee, by those standards, Jesus tarnished his reputation last week. We open up to this, this scene where Jesus had called this tax collector to follow him. His name was Levi, which then led to this invite with people that looked and talked and acted like Levi, a whole group of tax collectors, and they were the worst of society, right? They were the most disreputable crowd you can imagine. And the Pharisees caught wind of this, and they, 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 they cannot believe that this is happening before their very eyes. And they asked Jesus, they said, how can you eat with such filth? Claim to be a prophet. Last week we learned Jesus didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. That was last week's lesson. But now this morning, I want to jump in. In fact, I'm really excited to jump into this with you because the dinner tables have now, have now turned. And in our lesson this morning, Jesus gets invited to a completely different meal. This time it's not a meal with a bunch of sinners. This time it's a meal with the, the saints, so I want to pray for us. We're going to open to Luke 7, 36 to 50. Luke 7, 36 to 50. But before we do, let's just quiet our hearts and ask God to speak to us uh, in the next few moments. Pray with me, will you? Man, God, you are, uh, you are gracious and you are good, Lord. We've gathered in this place as we sang to glorify your name, to, to praise and bless the name of our Lord. God, we, we, get, we come together this morning, though, not just as one church, but also as individuals, all, all seeking and wrestling to, to know you, to, to grow in faith with you. And God, you know our hearts. You, you know where we've landed. You know that some of us walked in here this morning just exhausted from this week. Lord, others of us, we, we came in this morning just excited and, and singing uh, praises and triumph of, of new winds in life. Got others with, with mourning and grief. Lord, you know each heartbeat here. And so I just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of this word that you would meet us right where we are. God, that through this story you would speak to us. God, that we would be changed by you. Lord, that we would come to know you. Lord, we know that this, this word that you have given us does not return void, and so we trust in that. We pray for this, this moment for salvation 
ask that you would give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, hearts to follow after you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. So look at this, uh, chapter 7, we're going to start at verse 36, go all the way to 50. Let's hear now God's word. One of the Pharisees asked to eat with Jesus, and he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet, anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. Jesus answering said, Simon, I have something to say to you. He answered, say it, teacher. Well, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Which of them will, I, will love him more? Simon answered, well, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. You know what I think about every time I hear this story? For some reason, um, whenever I read this chapter, I'm reminded just how much I hate hair in my food. <laughs> Anybody else have that feeling? Like hair at the dinner table is gross, right? Here's this woman, her hair is all over the place. She's washing Jesus' feet. There's this smell now of like alabaster perfume in the air. And I, I'm always reading the story. I think to myself, she just ruined a perfectly good meal. Did she not? As many of you know, as I, I live in a house of three women and the struggle is real. Since the birth of my firstborn, without a doubt, for some reason, like on a weekly basis, in fact, just last night, hair ends up in my food. And we've tried desperately to stop this trend. The girls help prepare the meals, and so we put hair bands on them or hats or beanies. And it's odd, right? For some reason, this happens to no one else in my house except for me. In fact, last night, I was cooking a burger. The girls had went out on a different date. Only me eating the food. My own burger. Hair in the middle of the burger. I've always been intrigued by this issue of hair, right? Like, how is it that one hair has, has so much power over the mind, right? One minute you're eating this plate of spaghetti, life is good. The next minute... This morning lesson, uh, 
tells us a story of that kind of uninvited guest. Like this strand of hair, right? Some would say this woman has come to ruin the meal. If last week was all about Jesus eating with sinners, as I said, this week, this week it appears Jesus is dining with the, the righteous ones, the saints, right? He's at the Pharisee's house. And this must have been really big news in town, right? Because six times before this, Jesus has had a run-in with these Pharisees. All six times, it does not go well. By this point, they are clearly the antagonists of this gospel, right? And yet this man, Simon, not Peter, a different man, this man, this, this Pharisee, he invites Christ to this meal. And it should shock us that Jesus agrees. Look again at our passage. Look at this in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. The Greek word there for recline is kataklithe. And, and when you and I read that word, we might see it as like a casual reference to someone leaning back in their chair. But this word actually signifies a, a much deeper thing going on because to recline at the table meant you were at a formal meal, something historians known as a, a symposium meal. And the way that this formal meal would work was the guests would invite you over for dinner and there would be these long couches along the table and you would recline. Except for it was typically forward, you would lay down in such a way that your feet extended away from the table, your head would sit near the food. And this symbolized, this was no casual picnic, this was like a formal kosher kind of meal. It came with purification rites and rituals of cleanliness. And this isn't that far off, right? We get this. Food and feet don't go together still today. No shoes, no service. But Jesus is reclining at this table, and that gesture alone, it indicates that this meal was going to be a long, sort of drawn-out, multi-course event. And unlike today, where you might, like, lock the dignitary away from the crowds, these kind of formal meals came with an expectation of unexpected guests. Strangers would walk in off the street, and they would stand along the walls in the room to hear the conversation taking place. It was part of the gig. So this meal begins, word is traveled, guests arrived, everything's going to plan, but then this, this uninvited woman starts throwing her hair around. Look at this again in verse 37. Behold, a woman of the city, a sinner, when she learned who was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, she brings this alabaster jar, and standing behind his feet weeping, she begins to wet his feet, wipe them with her hair, anointed them with the ointment. Very quickly, we're going to find this morning that like hair on your dinner plate, this woman's presence killed the appetite in her room. Three things we learn right off the bat about this unwanted guest. Luke says, first, she was of the city. She was on the street. That meant people knew her. She was a local. Reputation walked into that room with her. And there is no doubt Simon knew who she was. In fact, Luke tells us this, right? The second thing we learn about her is that she was a known sinner. Notice this. Luke doesn't name her by name. No, instead he wants us to know just what her, her presence conveyed in that room. Her life was covered in sin. And you have to know this. In this context, the way the Greek, Greek is written, the way Luke writes this out, this is a euphemism for a prostitute. Prostitutes don't eat at the Pharisee's house. There's one more thing Luke tells us about her. She carried a, a perfume jar just for the occasion. 
Tells us she came with this clear intent, right, to offer something for some reason to, to bring this gift to this man who she apparently believes can forgive sin, can make her life better somehow. And at first read, it's almost as if she's like snuck in with the crowd, right? We're told she stood behind Jesus. That makes sense. Feet behind, head at the table. She was not there to make a scene. That This would have been normal. The, the public did just this. They would encircle the guests around the guest of honor. And then as flies on the wall, they would listen. But as she stands there, right, watching this conversation, seeing this man who was rumored to heal and save, what happens? She's overcome. And it's almost as if she begins processing in the, the presence of Christ, the, the sin in her life, the devastation that it's caused, the, the humility of her past, the overwhelming emotion now standing before this holy and righteous man. And Luke tells us she begins to lose it. I wonder if you've ever been there. You know, in youth ministry, we joke a lot about finding ourselves on a youth retreat. And it typically happens like the second or third night of the retreat. The kids are exhausted. The lights are dim. The music's playing. The preacher offers the gospel presentation. They come forward and what's happened? They're just like on their faces crying, right? We're always like, is that because they haven't had sleep in three days or is the Holy Spirit moving? But maybe you've been there. Maybe it's a, something that happens, I think, when we, we truly realize that we are standing in the, the beauty and the majesty, the holiness of the Lord, right? And as we're, as we're standing before him, we simultaneously realize, oh my goodness, the, the wretched state of my fallen nature. In the scriptures, time and time again, there's something about God's presence that, that causes mortals to fall on their faces. And this woman, she now begins weeping, right? I, I wonder if it just began with a few tears, a pitter or a patter, a drop here or there, but then soon this, this floodgate opens up. And Jesus' feet are now wet with the pain and anguish of this woman's life. And you have to wonder in that moment if she actually planned for this. I mean... She brings the jar of ointment, right? That has to tell us that she didn't do something with it. But historically, like the proper thing to do would have been to anoint Jesus' head with oil. We, we learned that all the way back in, in, in our Psalm 23 series. Or maybe offer him this as a gift. But no, she's crying, right? So profusely now that Jesus' feet are sitting in a puddle. And you can imagine the humility of this moment the feelings of shame that would have overwhelmed her, right? She immediately sees, I've got to clean this mess up. So she lets down her hair. Women didn't let down their hair in Hebrew culture. It was almost like icing on the cake for this Simon, right? But she doesn't care. She begins wiping Jesus' feet with the only thing she has. And then things get awkward. Luke says she starts embracing and, and kissing his feet, right? And let's be honest, like this is kind of like, this is weird, both then and now. How do you explain this? But note this. like These are the same dirty feet that weren't allowed at the table. These are the feet that have to be reclined away from the, the kosher meal, right? And this woman's now embracing this. See, I don't see this as like a moment of like inappropriate expression. It's odd. I'll give you that. But this is more like a moment of complete desperation. This nameless sinner falls apart at the feet of Jesus. She takes out this perfume hanging from her neck. She's clearly ruined. 
And she pours it all over his feet. Look at this in verse 39. The Pharisee who saw him, who had invited him, saw this. And he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who this woman is. Like a strand of hair sitting in your soup, right? This Pharisee is wondering, like, how have you not thrown her out yet? You going to eat that soup, Jesus? And Simon concludes, like, he doesn't know. He clearly doesn't get it. He doesn't understand who she is, or he'd have kicked her out by now. Back in 2009, President Obama held one of his many state dinners, as all presidents do, for foreign dignitaries. And this particular evening was for the Indian prime minister. You might have remembered this story. This was a big deal, right? High security, short guest list. It's at the White House. Big event. You had to either be famous or, or politically influential to get in the room. And these two guests somehow famously snuck in uninvited. Tariq and Makali Salahi. They had somehow gotten through security, and not only did they get to sit down at this banquet, but to the shame of Secret Service, they even got pictures with Biden shaking his hand. Now come to find out, right? This couple does this for a living. They're known as face braggers. That's their entire game. Get into really important events. Get it on social media. Somewhere in this meal, they were found out what happened. Booted. Arrested. Charged. See the trouble here? See, this woman was not an imposter. Everyone in the room knew. The moment she walked in, covered in shame and guilt in her sin, right? There was nothing to hide. A woman of the city, Luke says, everyone knew she was a sinner. Simon must have either been calculated or polite, right? Because he didn't cause a scene and throw her out. No. He started thinking to himself. He begins doing what I think a lot of us do in these kind of moments, right? He doesn't say anything. He just starts judging this woman in his mind. And he asked the question everyone was probably thinking, right? How is it that Jesus says he's all-knowing and he doesn't know? You're a prophet? See, because get this, hear this. If you hear nothing else, hear this. For Simon, he cannot fathom that perhaps the Savior can both know our sin and simultaneously forgive our sin. That somehow Jesus could know everything about you. He knows every single act, every thought, every word, every deed. And yet somehow in his mercy for those who call on him can still love you right where you sit right now. We don't live in very gracious times, right? I mean, I think from the very earliest of ages, we're, we're conditioned to perform, to put up a wall that says, I'm, I'm good, life's good for me, I'm under control, family's good, wife's good, no, no hair in my food, we're good. You know the difference in this passage between the, the Pharisee and this woman? One believes to have it all figured out, can't see the, the own desperation in his life, the other is so desperate, she's come apart at the sight of Jesus. See, and here's the crazy part, right? We know if we read the rest of Luke's gospel, the two in that moment, of those two, the Pharisee is far worse off in his sin. Right? Because despite his life seeming far more worthy than hers, he believed he had no need of Jesus. Presumably. And that's the one sin the Bible says that's without redemption. 
to believe you don't need Christ. So in this moment of compassion, right? And Jesus comes to Simon. He goes, Simon, I, we got to talk. And Simon's ready for it. He's like, you just ruined my meal with this woman. Yeah, like, let's let, out with it. I would love an explanation, Jesus. Look at this in verse 41. Jesus said, Simon, I've got a story for you. It's a dinnertime story, perfect for the symposium meal. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 50 denarii, the other 500. Remember, um, a denarii was a, a day's wage. That means one, one owed this man two months of work. The other owed two years. In verse 42, he continues, he says, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Cool story, right? Simon, which one do you think loved more? Which debtor had more love for this, this lender? Now, Simon's careful here, right? Because he's got, a, he's got an audience. We don't know how many were in there. But at least this woman, and he, he must know by now how Jesus works with these creative stories. So he, he thinks about it a moment. And he's, he throws a qualifier in. He says, it was probably the one who was in over their head. That, that could be it, I suppose. Jesus said, yeah, that's, that's it exactly. And now, don't miss this part. This part's really important. Now, turning back towards the woman, Luke says, he wants Simon to understand his place in the room. He says, let's, let's play this out. Do you not see how little you care, Simon? I walked in here. You gave me no water for my feet. You gave me no kiss of greeting. There was no oil to anoint my head. It's clear what you think of me. But this woman, this sinner, this wretch, she loved me far more. You know why, Simon? Because her enormous debt is gone. Look at this in verse 30, 47. He says, I tell you that her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Don't miss this. Simon thinks Jesus can't see the sin in this woman's life. Jesus just checkmated Simon. Right? He thinks, well, there's no way he could see her sin. He would have realized how far gone she was, how irreversible her life was. Uh, Jesus says, no, no, no. Her sins, which I see, which are many, he says, numerous, countless, gone. And then just so this wasn't some lesson on a chalkboard, Jesus looks right at this woman. And you can imagine, right? This is how I see it. At this point, her hair is a mess. It's got to be all tangled up, eyes puffed up. I don't know if they had mascara or not, but you can just imagine, like, right down the face. And Jesus looks at her and he says, your sins are wiped away. Your faith just saved you. Go in peace. Let me just ask you, at the end of this story, who do you relate to more? Is it Simon? Or is it the woman? Earlier on Monday, I was driving down the neighborhood. Speed limit in my neighborhood says 15 miles per hour. I was going a solid 14. This guy walking down the street sees my speed and he throws his hands up. He starts yelling at me, slow down. And as I looked in my rearview mirror, two things welled up inside of me. First, I was Simon, right? I was the righteous angry one. I was like, how dare you point out my speed? I was going at least one mile per hour under. Second, almost immediately after that, I'm looking at my girls in the rearview mirror and I'm like, wait, 
He's for what I'm for, right? Keeping the, the neighborhood kids safe. See, we know Simon, right? Proud of how I'm living the perfect life, trying to pretend I've got it all figured out, got all the answers. Like this week I followed the law. I, I don't know. I mean, Jesus, I, don't, I need him, but maybe not, not like this. I've got this figured out. Then simultaneously, we, we become that man on the street corner too. We judge those around us for their mistakes. Actually, I understand Simon more than I want to admit. But then there's those times, right, where we, we know this woman. Where before the Lord, we, we're trying to keep our emotions in check, maybe even now, because deep down, we know how bad we need him. It's overwhelming looking at your debts, and you, you wonder, like, how am I going to make that up? I don't, two years ain't going to be enough. Look at this from John Stott. He says, nothing reveals the gravity of sin like the cross. For ultimately what sent Christ there was our own greed, envy, cowardice, and other sins. And Christ's resolve and love and mercy to bear their judgment and so put them away. He says, it's impossible for us to face the cross with integrity and not feel the shame of ourselves. Apathy, selfishness, complacency, they blossom everywhere in the world except at the cross. There those noxious reeds shrivel and die. They are seen for the tatty, poisonous things they are. For if there was no way by which the righteous God could righteously forgive our unrighteousness, except that he should bear it himself in Christ, it must be serious. How many of us wrestle with yesterday's sins, right? Standing at the backside of Jesus, wondering like, eh, is that table still mine? And yet Jesus tells this known prostitute, go in peace, shalom. Your faith has saved you. See, this is the polarization of the gospel. And make no mistake about this. You got to pick one, right? Do you want to be the Pharisee? Or do you want to be the woman desperate for Christ? The next time you find hair in your food, this is my prayer. My prayer is that this story would come to mind and that you would take a moment to remember that despite the intrusion of your sin at his table, the good news is Jesus calls on us, forgiven in love, to go love much. The question for us this week is what does that look like for you to walk out those doors and love much for him? Let me pray for us. Pray with me. God, I think of that passage in 1 John when you said, this is how we know what love is, that Christ died for us. God, and yet so often um, we find ourselves on either end of the, the pendulum. We're, we either find ourselves as the, the, the Pharisee trying to, trying to do it right today or the woman realizing we, we didn't. So Lord, I just ask, God, that you would stir in us by your Holy Spirit a dependence on you, God, for, for any of us who have an inkling in our mind that somehow we have this life figured out. God, I pray right now you would make us, cause us to surrender to you. God, because we know deep down there, there is no other way. God, we pray like a, like a lifeguard, would you come and, and save us from our drowning? 
God, but not just for the purposes of our salvation, but for, for, for the reason that we would love much, that we would return with lives of gratitude for you, that we would love those around you as you have loved us, that we would seek after you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. God, we thank you for this story because we, we know this woman is not just a character, God, but, but we thank you for what you did in her life and we pray, would you do the same thing in ours? Give us peace today, God. In Jesus' name, all God's people said.